This is IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. I'm your host, Lee Llewellyn. Hello, this is Jeremy Souders with Hoosier Energy. Hoosier Energy is a nonprofit generation and transmission cooperative offering reliable, safe, and competitively priced power to members in Indiana and Illinois. Hoosier Energy is dedicated to strengthening the communities it serves by supporting existing business retention and expansion and new business development, as well as looking forward to the future with a diverse and balanced energy mix focused on reliability, affordability, and sustainability. To learn more about Hoosier Energy's commitment to economic development, please go to HoosierEnergy.com. Hoosier Energy is a proud sponsor of this IEDA podcast. For this podcast, the first of two on this topic, we're going to be exploring regional planning councils and how they are an underused tool for leaders and communities to secure funding for critical assets. With me on this podcast are Stephen Ray and Christy Householder. Stephen is the executive director of the North Central Indiana Regional Planning Council. His office is located in Miami County. And Christy is the economic development director for Cass County. Stephen, I'm going to start with you on this conversation, and what I would like you to do is give us an overview of the regional planning councils. Uh, In Indiana, they operate under a number of different names and structures, but I think there are 16 in the state. And so I'd like you to start by just explaining what's the basic structure of the regional planning councils, what they are and why they exist. Well, hey, thanks, Lee. I certainly appreciate you uh, bringing us together today. Uh, the regional planning councils, like you mentioned, there are 16 of us across the state that serve 83 of our 92 counties, many of which go back to the late 60s, uh, early 70s in the creation and formation of regional planning councils, commissions, councils of governments. Each one of us is unique in that uh, we, we serve our communities broadly with the same intent to be a resource, but we also provide unique programs and services that our counties request. So um, we're all about the same, but we're a little bit different at the same time. So give me a little bit of an example about the kinds of the kinds of programs, the kinds of things that, and again, I'm not sure there is typical, but what would be some of the typical kinds of, of programs or projects that you would see coming through a regional planning council? We all serve as a, uh, a pipeline to uh, state and federal funding. So we provide some level of grant management, grant writing, grant administration, whether that's through uh, transportation resources or community development or economic development resources. Um, we work on uh, a variety of things here in North Central. We've, we've done everything from workforce development to uh, pipe in the ground in, in terms of infrastructure, water, wastewater, workforce development. We do a variety of things that help build stronger communities and thereby stronger regions. So how, how are the regional planning councils funded? Are they funded all pretty much in the same way? Yeah, yeah. generally speaking, it, it's a per capita basis. It's mostly 
county contributions, but we do have some cities that contribute as well. And it depends on the, the makeup of each individual regional planning organization on what they set that rate for that per capita investment. And then the, the regional planning councils also have, I think, a unique relationship with the U.S. Economic Development Administration. Is that correct? Yes. I think about half. Eight of our 16 regions are designated economic development districts, and that comes from the U.S. Uh, economic Development Administration. You, we apply, we have to meet certain criteria in order to be eligible for the EDD designation. And what that does is, is the EDA provides annual planning investment dollars to a designated district. And that helps our communities put together um, a comprehensive economic development strategy. So a regional plan on community economic development activities. So you talked about, you just brought up the, the SEDS, a Comprehensive Economic Development Strategy. So we've heard about that. I think now uh, the Indiana Economic Development Corporation is doing a SEDS, a Comprehensive Economic Development Strategy for the state. But what is a SEDS and why, why, do, why do we care? Well... I, we get that question a lot from our elected officials. Well, and, you just got that question again, funders. Stephen. So. No, a comprehensive economic development strategy will take a look at the industry sectors that are within our region. It'll take a look at our community patterns. It'll take a look at our workforce, takes a look at our quality of life and puts that all into a document that allows the regional planning councils to pursue projects, whether it's at the state or the federal level, to strengthen or further develop the economic growth within a, a specific community and the region. So is that part of the, I mean, is it necessary that you have the SEDS in place to receive some of the funding from the U.S. Economic Development Administration? I've never really understood that relationship. Yes, to be eligible for the EDA funding mechanisms, they will want to see a comprehensive economic development strategy. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be an EDA-approved strategy. It gives you a, a, a leg up. It gives you a little bit of an advantage if the EDA has helped fund a SEDS. But it could be a locally funded, locally completed strategy. And it shows that the project that we're pursuing with EDA is in line with the regional priorities. And it's not just EDA. Uh, I'm going to throw out al alphabet soup to you here. Uh, you know, USDA, EPA, even some of our state agencies like the Office of Community and Rural Affairs, NDOT, more and more, the funding agencies, whether it's state or federal, are looking to invest in projects that have a broad, wide-reaching impact. And by having a, a, a SEDS and a project in the, the SEDS as a priority for 
in our case, a six county region will help align that project with the funding mechanisms and, and trying to show that there is a broad reach and impact for a, a, a specific project. And it seems to me that when, you know, when you're working through those strategies and you're looking at that, it is a way of identifying. It seems to me that some of the projects that I have seen that have come through some of the regional planning councils, they're, they're really sort of maybe foundational projects, projects that are really necessary for other things to build upon or for, for other priorities to get done. It seems to me that they're some really sort of basic infrastructure, basic projects that, again, help communities build capacity. Is that a correct assumption? Yeah, absolutely. The, the capacity building is, is the primary focus of regional planning organizations. Um, as we go through you know, an election cycle, we have turnover, we have folks that are that are new to their elected positions that don't necessarily have the experience or, or the knowledge of where to reach out in order to get projects completed. And so the regional planning councils, along with the SEDs, help those elected officials and those decision makers determine what their priorities are. And when those priorities align with the funding mechanisms, such as an EDA, that places the community at a competitive advantage. So, Christy, let's get you involved in the conversation. And, and again, part of our purpose for this and a, and a follow-on podcast is to really talk about how the regional planning councils have helped facilitate some economic development priorities in, in the regions and the communities that they serve. So uh, for you to start a little bit about, you know, what is sort of your relationship in Cass County Economic Development to that, that regional planning council? So wh where's that connection for you? So we are a member that pays, as Stephen alluded to earlier, and I'm appointed by the county commissioners. Um, they have five appointments, and I am one of those five to sit on uh, the regional planning council's board to help guide, if you will the strategies for the Regional Planning Council and work with Stephen and his staff to find projects that will benefit Cass County. And in fact, if you want me to go into that, we've actually received um, four million in grant dollars with the help of the Regional Planning Council that we probably wouldn't have received had we not been part of the Regional Planning Council. Okay, so we'll talk about part of that in a minute. Uh, and and both of you were involved, but Christy, you've been an advocate really from the beginning in the in our rural economic development model. And very briefly, sort of what that is 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 that is our effort to work in predominantly the rural areas of the state to help them leverage, <clears throat> excuse me, their agriculture assets to create ag processing to bring you know value added things into the communities. And, uh, you know, I think both you, Christy and Stephen, were involved in that in, in your particular region. But, but talk about why agriculture, you know, and, and ag processing is, became a priority for, for that particular, your particular region and for Cass County. 
So for specifically for Cass County, when I was hired to come to Cass County, I was hired to, to um, do more with our smaller communities and to get involved with the ag community, uh, which had been lacking because um, most of me and my peers 10 years ago were mainly working with manufacturers, small businesses, and that didn't exclude ag companies, but we weren't really targeting them. And so when I got here and started getting into the ag programs, I mean, I, I'm a country girl, but I'm definitely not <laughs> an ag person. So I had to learn a lot. And we had a park that had started out with several ag companies, but hadn't been developed into an ag park yet, which it is now currently that. But at the time, it was not. We just had some ag companies that we were so I needed help. And so I think, you know, I came to you, Lee, and to Stephen saying, okay, how, how can we expand this? How can we, how can I better understand the ag side of things and know my assets? And how can I help my ag companies, whether they be farmers, grain companies, well, you know, small entrepreneurs, whatever. How do I, how do I help these next generations and how do we get ag? recognize, if you will, in the economic development field. Well, and I think we started we, we started the rural economic development model recognizing that, you know, Indiana prides itself on being, you know, manufacturing centric and manufacturing focused. But manufacturing as we think of it, and, and normally we think of manufacturing in Indiana as being auto-based, but that doesn't touch all all counties and rural counties don't often have the infrastructure or the proximity to, to the major manufacturing, the auto manufacturers to be able to attract that. But, you know, our goal in thinking about this was if you think about ag processing, food processing, dairy, you know, those are a form of manufacturing facilities, but they're, they're not turning out transmissions. You know, they're turning out, you know, uh, chicken tenders and, and cottage cheese and other things like that. It's still manufacturing, but, but it's focused on, you know, using raw material that comes from the surrounding area and that comes from, you know, Indiana farmers. So that was a way to blend, I guess, that sense of manufacturing with agriculture and and to be thinking about that differently. And I know, Stephen, uh, that in your SEDS, I think you are unique in that ag and ag processing was really part of your your strategy. How did you get to that? Because I'm not sure anybody else has, has thought about that. Well, really, just to piggyback on what Christy mentioned, you know, we do have primarily rural communities and rural counties in North Central. And ag is a very significant sector across the region. We did a supply chain study and we found that there was about a billion dollars in ag supply chain leakage. That was probably a 2017 or 2018 number. So what we what we did was we followed the direction of our 2017 SEDS, we completed the supply chain analysis, and then we worked with um, PCRD, Purdue uh, Center for Regional Development, and IEDA to pursue the rural economic development model. And it, it's been 
a, a very eye-opening experience, I believe, from a regional perspective in that we've been able to develop stronger relationships with uh, a sector that, as Christy mentioned, may not have been focused on as much just in the last probably two years. So from my perspective, the ag strategy is helping us close that leakage gap at a local level, therefore at a, at a regional level as well. And it's attracting, you know, new jobs and new private investment across the region. So let's go back a minute there and let's, let's define when you're talking about leakage, you know, that may not be a term that everybody's familiar with, but it is something that we have talked about a lot in the ag strategy. So give me an example of what leakage looks like within your ag sector and in your region. What is that? What's leaking? All kinds of things. <laughs> well, so what is that? So what does say, that mean? Yeah, so I would say like our corn that we that we you know plant and raise to maturity, and then you know they bring it in. They, it goes to whether it goes to one of our local or even one of our regional distillers. Then some most of our corn and soybeans actually go to other countries. It does not stay in our community. So that would be considered a leakage because okay. it's going out. It's not staying and, and maybe not necessarily even being processed here in, in our region or even locally. I would add a, a, another piece. It, it's, it's input. I think what we found, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but shipping materials, cardboard boxes and plastic boxes, we, we import that from other communities and uh, outside of our region and outside of our state. So are there opportunities for, you know, manufacturers that are located, already located within the region? Is there an opportunity for them to expand their business and serve our ag producers with, uh, within our six counties? So leakage is, is, is about, about dollars that are leaving the region. So, I mean, it, when, when, when those corn and soybeans are sold elsewhere, they're not processed. Th those are dollars that's lost. It's when you're, you're buying those supplies, then Stephen, from outside the region, you're sending dollars someplace else to bring something in as opposed to spending them with a, a local supplier. So that's, that's the essence of leakage. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Very well said. All right. So, Christy, when you were talking earlier, you talked about, you know, your industrial park, your business park, and that it was sort of perhaps, I mean, our, a traditional business park. And then as you started thinking about the ag strategy, you had to think differently about that park as an ag park. What? Why is that different? Why is it different? Because, you know, a number of years ago, I think it was Okra that went through their process of coming up with sort of the site certification. But that was really targeted more toward what we think of as traditional industrial, typically, you know, vehicle manufacturing. So what's the difference when you start talking about an ag park? So I think mainly would be the wastewater and the water portions uh, not that some of our manufacturers don't use a lot of water or have um, wastewater issues, but it's typically the ag side of things, you need more water for the processing and 
the wastewater is usually um, a little more difficult to treat, if you will. So just need a lot of that. And so that, that was part of the process that we, you know, we had to go through locally and had to really identify what kind of companies in the, because we already had ag-like companies located in the ag park, what companies could we go after that would benefit and not spur maybe uh, from what we already had in the park and what okay. amenities that we could add to it. So then part of why we're talking today is then that ag park in particular benefited from your relationship with the regional planning council. So, so what was, what's the connection between your ag park and Stevens regional planning council? So actually the regional planning council and Steven have helped in a couple of ways. Currently we are working with EDA on a road infrastructure. Uh, we have, Oh, anywhere from five to 600 semi-truck trailers a day going in and out of the ag park. And unfortunately, um, it's wearing down on some of the roads that are in the park. So we've upgraded some of them, but there's a segment that actually connects the ag park to the industrial park or traditional industrial park and the, air, the municipal airport. And that road is needs significant help and drainage. Drainage is huge, especially in the rural areas. So, so um, they, you know, so we're working with EDA um, with that. And then we also did a fire protection. Um, we added fire, and they, Stephen and his and the regional planning council helped secure some additional items for our local volunteer fire department, which you don't typically think of, but they needed some apparatuses and some new suits and some other items, a new a new truck. So they do help in other ways than what you typically would think. But to help, you know, as we're as I add, we are adding companies to the ag park. They obviously need fire protection because some of you know you can create fires anywhere. But so they were help able to help us get some additional items for the the volunteer fire department. So what does that mean, Stephen? I mean, so you helped, but. What role do you play? I mean, what do you actually do when you're trying to, when you're working with someone like Christy on this kind of a project? What services are you actually providing? I, I assume that you don't have just, you know, a huge bank account that you, you know, dip into uh, out of the goodness of your heart. What do you actually do for this kind of project? Well, as Christy mentioned, as a, as Alito develops their project, whether it's a, a traction or an expansion project, they identify gaps. We work with them when they identify that they need a new road or if they need new infrastructure or if they need workforce training. The Regional Planning Council has the network that can go connect with the state and federal agencies to align the, the, the needs of the community with the eligibility of the funding resources. We will serve as a liaison. We serve as a facilitator in matching the projects at the local level with the available funding agencies. Are you helping to craft then the, the grant applications? I mean, are you providing that service directly? Or are you are you sort of facilitating that process? 
how does that work? I mean, you know, it's more than just you, you know, pointing them in the direction and saying, you know, go there. What are you doing in the middle of that process? Because I think it's more than just just connecting them or telling them to, where to go. The regional planning organizations serve as grant writers, grant administrators. It goes back to uh, the word capacity that you used earlier. You know, many of our Lido's are one-person shops. Our elected officials, our, our clerk treasurers and our county auditors, they have full-time jobs and being an expert, trying to become an expert in multiple funding agencies and the rules and regulations that go along with that is a bit of a challenge for them. So regional planning councils have the staff and have um, the experience and the capacity to take on that workload, serve on the behalf of whether it's the, a county or a city or a town to secure state and federal funding to move their projects forward. And so when you say you're, you serve as grant administrator, so does that mean that the, that funding, does that funding go directly to, say, Cass County, or does that come to you or through you as part of that process? Each funding mechanism is a little bit different. Okay. Um, generally speaking, the unit of local government will serve as the lead applicant and the recipient of the funds. And the Regional Planning Council will just serve as a, as a fiscal administrator of those programs. Obviously, you know, the state rolled out the READY program a few years ago, two years ago. And the Regional Planning Council served as the re recipient of those dollars. So it really depends on the funding mechanism and what type of project that we're looking to um, get awarded. And I'm guessing that part of that also is because, you know, this is something that you are likely to spend more time with and have expertise that you, as, as those funds come into those localities, you probably are there to provide advice in terms of, you know, reporting requirements, you know, monitoring all of that, because, you know, I mean, if you don't do that all the time, you don't do that full time the requirements of those grants of reporting and the re and the reporting can be kind of unique uh, for lack of a better word in terms of how you have to do things and i assume that that's part of the expertise that you bring to that process is to try to make sure everybody stays sort of legal and compliant with all of the requirements of each of those grants yes one of the things that we focus on in house is is that we put together the documentation and the reporting that will help the unit of local government navigate a state board of accounts audit and so we we lighten that burden a little bit obviously the the uh the clerks and the auditors they're engaged in the process but when it comes to the heavy lifting of of verifying payrolls and, and reviewing contracts and those types of things. That's what regional planning councils are there for, to help provide that guidance and that direction to ensure the successful completion of the project and funding. So, Christy, earlier on, you mentioned another, we talked about the road, obviously, in the Ag Park, but then you talked about an, an, another grant or other funding 
that the Regional Planning Council helped secure. What was that? That was the apparatuses for the fire, for the volunteer fire department. And then actually we've gotten about $4 million. So really a quarter of all the grant funding that our region has brought in, Cass County has been the recipient for. I mean, we've done anything, obviously, by the the two that we mentioned, but then we've had some environmental dollars that we've received through the city. We've had some downtown revitalization monies that have come in. So, I mean almost four million so that, that's a lot of money that we would have not seen had it not been for us to be a member of the regional planning council so why do you and, and you may not be able to answer this question but why do you think more of your peers who are doing economic development aren't using the regional planning councils or don't know about them i mean it seems to me that it's it should be you know, a tool in everybody's economic development toolbox. Uh, Absolutely. So, yeah. So, so why do you think that's, where do you think there's a disconnect there? I don't know that they maybe understand what the regional planning council can offer them or what, what resources that they have or the abilities that they have maybe, or maybe they can, they think that they can do this themselves. I don't have time for all that, honestly. So I rely on Stephen and his staff at the regional planning council to help me kind of get through. I mean, there's so many resources out there. It's hard to be familiar with all of them. So, you know, I, I, I mean, I was getting ready to call Stephen actually <laughs> yet this week. I mean, the county's looking at maybe doing a, a parking garage. Okay. I mean, so, you know, so then what I would do is say, hey, Stephen, do you know of any resources that we could utilize that would help, uh, you know, the county get a, parking garage. I mean, that's silly. I mean, you know, it's not something that you would typically work on, but that's something that the county is wanting to look at. So, of course, then I would call Stephen or, you know, you know, or one of the staff there at Regional Planning Council, and we kind of go through it and see if there's something that would help fund, not, not all of it, but maybe a portion of it. Mm-hmm. And maybe not, but sometimes he has to tell us no. <laughs> but most of the time, it's yes. Honestly, it's most of the time, it's yes. Hey, here's the funding mechanism. Let's go after it. So Stephen talked about, you know, that they do help with sort of the reporting and going through all of that. So from your experience being on sort of the recipient end, what is what is the regulatory burden that falls upon you then to get that when you get for that four million dollars or you get the funding for a road? You know, is that does that burden rest heavily on you or is that something that the, the planning council sort of takes on? So the planning council generally takes all that on. I mean, we still have some burden. I won't, I won't sugarcoat it. We do have some burden, but they make it a lot easier. They, they make us, make us understand what they're looking for, for the reporting. So we're reporting the, you know, the correct information to the regional planning council or, and then or onto the funding agency. So again, that right there, that, I mean, I, I don't have a value for that. I'm sure Stephen probably has one in mind, but you know that that right there is huge. I mean, because again, we're all doing many things. You know, our auditors and court treasurers don't necessarily understand all the hoops that they have to to go through if they had not had no regional planning council to lean on. So um, they're very helpful. They're very good. Even applying for the grants, I mean, they're very good about making sure we have our letters correct. You know, anything for support wise, we have our you know funding mechanism exactly where we need them to be so i mean they're i couldn't do my job without Stephen ray 
and the Regional Planning Council. So I was trying to find, you know, some excuse, some reason why more economic developers aren't going through this process. Um, and and I, I haven't sort of come up with the answer to that question of why there wouldn't be more interaction between the regional planning councils and the LIDO directors. Uh, Stephen, you know, what advice do you have for Christie's peers who hear this about what you know how they should be connecting with their regional planning councils. Why is why is this so hard? I I don't know that it's hard. I think it's just a matter of expanding their network. I know that there are leaders out there across the state that know who their regional planning council is, but I don't know that they understand all of the services and programs that they can provide. And as as, as Christy mentioned, our role is to lessen the burden and be subject matter experts on things that are really not a part of uh, Alito's day-to-day job duties, you know, labor standards, environmental review, procurement processes. You know, all those three things are very time consuming and very unique to the individual funding mechanisms, whether it's a state or a federal. So having a resource or having an organization that has experience in um, working in those heavily regulated arenas is a benefit not only to the units of local government, but to the economic development professionals as well. Yeah. So I'm mean, and and again, I think that probably for for many people, the fear of sort of the regulation, the red tape, and all of that stuff is probably what you know keeps people from pursuing these opportunities. The point I think that we wanted to make today was that that's really a lot of the expertise that Stephen, you and your peers and other regional planning councils sort of bring to the table and looking at some of these projects. And and it just seems to me that you are often an overlooked uh, resource when people are looking at, you know, how do we, you know, building capacity and, and assets within our communities. So what haven't we covered that we need to before we sign off? I cannot imagine my life day to day without having the regional planning council to rely on. I mean, I think Stephen and or his staff and I talk nearly daily uh, about a project or about upcoming projects. So I would encourage my peers to reach out to the regional planning council. Think of some ideas or some projects that maybe you're working on that maybe they can help you with. And I mean, it's worth the conversation at least. in my opinion, because I can't imagine life without the Regional Planning Council, honestly. Stephen, are we going to be able to get your head out the door after this? (laughs) Well, uh, honestly, um, from from my Regional Planning Council perspective, the communities that have been successful, such as Cass County, are those that are actively engaged. I think you, um, you get out of it what you put into it. Uh, we're a relatively young regional planning council and trying to sell this very fluid idea of what regionalism is, is a challenge. But from my perspective, our leaders have done a great job of going to our elected officials and our decision makers and ensuring that 
the regional planning council is in the top five first thoughts when a project is presented to them. And so uh, I certainly appreciate all of the kind words that, that Christy has, has given us as an organization, but a lot of it is she's out there doing the legwork and she is promoting the regional planning council within her community. And so we are now at the point where the elected officials are now reaching out to us directly because they've heard, hey, you need to talk to the Regional Planning Council. This is something that they can help with uh, so much over the last eight years that it's almost second nature to them. So, again, I think it's what you get out of it, what, what you put into it. And the more connection that you have with your Regional Planning Council, the stronger your communities will be. Well said, and a great place to end the conversation. So we've been talking about, you know, how regional planning councils across the state of Indiana, or in this case, how uh, the, the North Central Indiana Regional Planning Council has been working with Cass County in helping them address some of their uh, economic development needs. And talking to me today has been Stephen Ray, the executive director of the North Central Indiana Regional Planning Council, and Christy Householder, uh, the economic development director for Cass County. Two uh, two friends of mine and people that I'm just that I always enjoy working with and talking to, and am pleased that you would spend some time with me today talking about this. So thank you both very much for your time. Hey, thank you, Lee, for providing this platform for us to share our story. I appreciate your time and I and I and I appreciate your expertise. So thank you both. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Hoosier Energy is a proud sponsor of this IEDA podcast. Hoosier Energy is committed to supporting economic development throughout Indiana. To learn more, please go to HoosierEnergy.com. You've been listening to IEDA in your ear the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. All content on this podcast is copyright 2023 by the Indiana Economic Development Association, which retains all rights to this content. And by the way, the theme music was composed and performed by me, Lee Llewellyn. Thanks. Thanks.